Hello, everyone. I've missed you. I'm excited to let you know that the next season of The Big D will be premiering on May 3rd. That's in just a few weeks. Don't ask me how many episodes I have recorded and finished editing. The answer is zero. I'm excited. I'm going to have a coming out coach, a pop culture writer to talk about the best breakup albums, and an expert on restorative justice to talk about family unification and high conflict breakups. Of course, with some incredible, inspiring stories of big breakups and divorce and what it means to come through on the other side. I'll even be interviewing a couple who divorced, were separated for eight years, and then got back together. I'd love to drop some names, but that's a pet peeve of mine, so you'll just have to wait for the formal announcements. In the meantime, I'm thrilled to bring you this special episode, a mashup of Big D with the Sister On podcast. I get into moments of processing divorce stories and reframing what that means in our lives with Natalie Davy. Natalie is super interesting. She has a PhD in education. She has studied memory and also how youth in conflict with the law learn. Okay, enough of an intro. Here we go. Hi, Miranda. Hi, Natalie. This is our two-for-one episode of Sister On and the Big D come together to reframe divorce. Yes, sit back and take in our breakup stories, because who doesn't like a little drama? And keep listening for the ways we reframe our experiences of divorce and what comes after the papers are signed. We're going to talk about video games and recipes and other reframing tools that have helped us to get to the other side of this very big word. Okay, so on the big D, my first question to my guests is, what is our meet-cute? And a meet-cute is a term from film where the two romantic leads meet. It's kind of like that moment where, you know, one of them drops a pencil and then the other one goes to help pick them up, pick it up for them. And then that's the moment. So um, do we have a meet-cute, Natalie? How did we meet? I think our mute cute is like right now. I think our mute cute is, yes. <laughs> is you having to run and find your phone because you're like a more sensible person and not stuck glued to the device like I am. But no, I think that, I don't know, ours is probably like a combo because you've mm-hmm. hung out with my sister and, yep. you know, like our dads have hung out. <laughs> yes, <laughs> but, that's true. But that's kind of like, you know, in terms of past lives. Um, but no, I don't think we've had our own. So unless... Unless you've ever sort of like seen me or Googled me in preparation for this very specific day. (laughs) Then I'm actually kind of curious to know even what you, if you have any memory of us connecting, because everything is just sort of through Becca. And it's often so much my life is through Becca. Right. Yeah. Um, 
I mean, I did always know that there were two of you, um, <laughs> two Davy sisters. Um, but yeah, this is our first time meeting. Why is it exciting? Why is this exciting when we're about to like share all these like sad stories? I'm trying to figure this one out because I actually feel like part of what makes this beautiful is that like I'm talking to a person who actually gets what I've been through there. I've made yeah. it for all the wonderful people in my life. It's very hard to talk about big stories that other it people is. haven't navigated the same way. That's just it's sort of true. reality, isn't it? Yeah. And I, I, I don't meet, you know, a lot of divorced people who aren't baby boomers. So mm-hmm. that's always just like a nice moment of recognition in someone else. And yeah, yeah like a lot of people I know, um, like to them in a loving way, I'm like a bit of a, like, oh, this is my like divorce friend. Like she's a divorcee. <laughs> like she's so that. young, but look at her. She's a divorcee. Like, totally. and that's kind of funny. And like, um, yeah, it's just, it's a unique experience being, um, a young gish. I'm not that young, but a youngish divorced yeah. woman. And, yeah. um, yeah, I, I do have to say though, like when people find out that I'm divorced and they have this moment of like, oh, really? I'm like, I love it. I like feed off of that energy of like shock. I'm like, yes, I am. <laughs> so um, wait a second. Do you have like a drama background then, like Rebecca? Is that oh, part yes. of that or is that just who you are? Okay. So no, tell me more I do. about that though. Yeah. Well, um, so the reason I know Becca is she and my dad worked together in theater. And so I grew up in the theater. I, um, you know, I went to like a high school and specialized in theater, special art school and decided not to pursue it full time, but I did some acting after I graduated. And, um, I'm definitely a performer in, in many other areas of my life. And, and take all those skills with me. I work in communications. So, ah, okay, uh, and yeah. I have my own <laughs> podcast, right? So there's exactly. like, it's, there's always a little bit of that in my life. And I write a lot, um, in my job and my nine to five. So it's, right. it's all okay. a part of it. And, and yeah, that's how I, that's how I got to know Becca. And that's like my main frame of reference for her is, is as an actress. Right. Now, mm-hmm. wait a second. You said you went to an art school. So which one? Uh, Adobogo School of the Arts. So I did too. So there's our meet cute. Oh my gosh. Because I went there for music theater. So you were there for theater? Yes. So we're sisters. So done. We are this sisters. We this, are. This just makes so much sense. So there you go. And you know what? It's funny because I think, so when I started dating my ex-husband, mm-hmm. we, I was actually, I was at ESA. So I was in grade right. 11 when we started dating. So wow. I was so young. So okay. because I had all those years, it was like three years of high school where he and I were dating. And so I kind of withdrew from the school experience. Like my, wow. yeah, I was just really invested in this relationship. It was like a long-term thing. I mean, it, so I don't even feel like my time at ESA was as sort of beautifully rendered as it could have been because I was spending so much of my energy investing in these outside relationships that were all super, Mm. super connected to him. And Mm. then like his youth group, his sort of like all these various connections that sort of happened out beyond the school walls. Toronto is small. The arts community is small. Yes, absolutely. Um, So yeah, it's even though we don't know each other, I'm really excited to... (laughs) Like we have all these connections with each other yes. and I'm really excited to hear your story and share mine with you and just connect. 
on all so of shall that. I shall I do that? Shall I tell you the story and just get it off my chest and kind yes. of just get this sucker done? Okay. Yeah. So in that we started dating when I was in grade eleven, I remember that in in my OAC year, I was working at a camp and it was this like lovely experience where I met another person and it was like, you know, you're 17, you're 18. Like it was just like, oh my gosh, this is another sort of version of romance. And I, so then, you know, my ex-husband had been away at a summer camp. And so when he came home, I broke up with him Hmm. and it was like, I, I need space. And so I did this very mature thing where I broke up with him and I felt like it was the right thing to do. And it lasted for like maybe two weeks because it was a very interesting experience. And I've had to work this one through in counseling Mm where I, um, I felt really guilty at that time because my breakup was affecting the people in my very immediate circle. Mm -hmm. So very specifically my family. And because at that time, my sister had just started to date my ex-husband's best friend. So there was now like this very, I mean, Rebecca and I are already super, super tight, but now it was like a different kind of level of knittedness together. Mm. And then on top of that, my ex was a musician and so, and a very talented one. And so he was playing music in our church. And so this was like just a really, he was very much a part of like a bigger story than just us dating. So I felt really proud of myself for doing that breakup, but I caved under, and I really do believe it was self-imposed pressure. I really 100% don't believe that the family actually by any means said, you must stay with this person because nobody would do, I mean, like that just feels It's amazing what a teenage mind can do, right? But that teenage mind that was mine lasted then through a wedding (laughs) Uh and through, you know, up until seven years of marriage. And so that means like that was 13 years of life together where, where it was, I mean, we were really, really good at doing projects. So like when you're talking about the project you were just doing at ESA in terms of like an organizing sort of work with alumni, like that was Mm -hmm. like our whole life. When we were on a project together, whether Mm -hmm. it was in the church or whether it was in the community or whether it was in wherever, we were, we were really good at it. We were a very Mm -hmm. good team. But when it came to actually being, um, like a couple. So I, I taught in a, in a prison for uh, the first couple of years of my teaching career. And I would come home with these stories and they were stories that, I mean, I had to, I felt I needed to talk about them because it was the only way to sort of get through my, to get back there the next day. Cause it was a lot. It was just a lot. I was only 22. I mean, like, you know, teachers when they're young, they don't know much about how to talk through their process anyways. And I remember trying to talk to him. He was also a teacher. So everything just seemed like it should have fit. And his response to me, and I really don't think he meant it to be how it came out, but he was like, I can't compete with your stories. And, and then it was, um, and then he walked away. So now would he remember it that way? Probably not. Did it even happen that way? I mean, my, all of my, my doctoral work was focused on memory studies because I've been so curious to even know, like, does the way, do the ways that I remember all of these things actually, did they happen that way? Or have they been storied by me? Not because I'm telling a lie, but simply because I'm, I'm having to function, right? I mean, I have to sort of move through to the next set of what I'm going to do, who I'm going to be. But that story that I've told myself definitely I know some part of it was true and it was sad. 
because I knew I was alone then in the storying of that of that very specific time where I was alone in my job and then alone at home because I couldn't talk about it. And so it hit a point where we had moved from one house to another house. And I think we did that process um, simply because we did, we did move well together, right? Like it's, if you do a move, then you have a project. Now you're in a new house. Now you can start again, like that sort of feeling. So I think we kept trying that. I'd be curious to know, actually, maybe I'm not curious. Maybe I don't care anymore to find out. But in my mind, at one point, I was curious to know if he would have agreed with me that maybe that move was like a last ditch effort or something. But, um, but in the end, that move didn't work. And I do remember just sort of hitting a point where I had to say, like, I knew, I knew the night that I was coming home from work to sit down and say, I, I need this not to be. And that was basically it. And what was interesting was how little pushback I got. So even though I was the instigator, I, I again have storied it for myself that there was not much in the way of, of, um, disagreement because if there was, then I think there would have been more fight for everything to continue. So for all of the sadness that existed in the world outside of us for the dissolution of this experience, I'm, I'm pretty sure that we were both on the same page that something wasn't meshing, but it was definitely that outside um, reaction to the dissolution that was probably the hardest for me in many ways, because I, I didn't really feel like there were a lot of people that I could talk to Mm. since everybody was so confused since that everything looked so fine, Natalie. Why did it all look so fine? So there was so much of everybody else processing how this thing had come to be. That And you're nodding in agreement, so I, I get that you get this, and so I can't wait to hear yours, because that's kind of what it was. I mean, like, it's really, I feel boring, because it wasn't even, like, super dramatic. There's no great, like, you know, throwing of glass or any great, you know, dramatic breakup fight. It was just a really sad kind of goodbye. And, and, and the parts of me that I I think I felt sad about it for a long time until I I went for a run one night because I still lived in that house that I had, so I ended up buying him out. He moved back home. And so he was actually just like maybe a few main streets over. So I went for a run and I remembered seeing him fighting with a new woman and it was awesome. And I just felt so alive on that run because I was like, Oh my gosh, this is like, I'm, I've been relieved (laughs) of this experience and he is going to be fine and she's probably great. And (laughs) it just, it gave me so much. um, It's funny what that released in me. I, it took me a long time after that run to go and find my own new life, but at least I could sort of say to myself, he, he was fine. So I could just get running. And then I just kept running (laughs) for a long time. But I'm in a different place now. How about you? Tell me yours. Wow. Um, can I ask how long ago did that run take place? Hmm. Okay. So I have to work my math backwards because I've been married now for, this will be year 10 that I've been married to my, my husband now. Um, and so then that run would have been like maybe 14 years ago. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Hmm. We could have a whole other episode on getting married again. Mm-hmm. I want to hear that story too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and there's good stuff in that too, for sure. But. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, okay. So my story, mm-hmm. um, I joke that I was a child bride, but I, I wasn't. I was 20. Okay. Um, <laughs> we were the same. I get you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and um, we had this incredible meet cute where uh, we met because we were both standing up for one of our really good friends at his wedding. Mm-hmm. And... Um, I was folding programs for the ceremony and he walked in and saw me and went to like lean on a table all suave like and chat with me, but the table wasn't fully built and it crashed and he fell down and, um, it was really cute and (laughs) funny and embarrassing for him. I was just enjoying myself. Um, and we, our first conversation was about how frustrated we were that that church that we were in didn't um, perform same-sex marriages. So in our first meeting, we had covered like all the things that you're not supposed to talk about uh, in polite company, like religion, politics, and what's like sex. Um, and I was I was totally smitten. Um, so I I fell in love with him in my first year of university and. We dated through university and then got married right before my final year, my fourth year. Um, and he is a, a, a genius of a man, incredibly charismatic. Um, and we shared a lot of important values, um, which I think I've already <laughs> very explicitly hinted at. Um, it's not really hinted, but no, uh, we, good. <laughs> yes, we, we, you know, we worked a lot together similarly to you and your ex, mm. um, like, you know, paid work and also like volunteer work. Like we did a lot of it together. We worked really well together. Um, and I think, you know, in any relationship that lasts a, a long time, there are dynamics in your relationship that if, if you're not vigilant about them, they get kind of baked in and they just kind of become the standard. Mm-hmm. And I think also as both young people, he's four years older, so still quite young. Um, we had a lot of work to do on ourselves. And um, when you're in a long-term relationship, it is easy to become comfortable and kind of just accept things as they are and not do that work that you need to do. And then sometimes that just will catch up and it'll just come at you. Um, and I think, you know, it did happen over a long period of time where for a number of very good reasons and a number of reasons that I, I don't think are good reasons, he prioritized work over himself and over our relationship. And that prevented him from doing the work that he needed to do on himself and then also invest in our relationship. And um, I had more time to do that. I was more interested in doing that work. Um, And it got to a point where I was growing and I was starting to prioritize myself and my needs, I think, for the first time. And once it became apparent that I was needing more, um, he became afraid that I would leave, even though at that point I, I wasn't seriously considering it at all. But the fear of me leaving, um, 
really like triggered a lot that he hadn't been able to work through yet. Mm -hmm. And then our relationship dynamic became really toxic. And I think, um, I mean, all relationships and dynamics have like elements of challenge and problem and go in and out of, of these moments of problematic behavior, but we ended up just getting stuck in it instead of being able to get out. And we were in therapy together and it just became very detrimental to my well-being and my mental health and my physical health. And to the point where I just said, I, I can't, I, I, I don't have it in me anymore. Um, yeah. And then like to the point of, you know, having to deal with everyone after that decision was made was whew, like in a way, like we kind of went into work mode together and we both kind of work in comms. We work in like politics and stuff. And so together we came up with like key messages that we were going to tell family and friends. Like we had a shared note on our phones, like with like a bulleted, like seriously, like key messages um, that we had agreed. Yeah. Like we're like, this is our story. This is what we are both comfortable saying. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. And we had even like talked about like putting out like a post on social media and we decided no like that'll seem like a press release that's like too much mm-hmm. <laughs> um but a lot like 99% of the people that we told were completely shocked mm-hmm. um yeah also cuz we were so practiced at like performing and communications mm-hmm. so um like everything that people perceived about us um I I wouldn't say that it was like completely constructed because we were very happy, I would say for the majority of our relationship, but, um, there were some things that became immovable as I grew, as he grew or didn't from my perspective. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, yeah. And so now I am just about two years out from the separation and, um, the divorce was finalized um, in October last year, so I I've had some really good space and lots of processing. But every time I tell this story, there's usually like something new that has happened in the way that I have framed it. Yeah. That's that's changed. So yeah. um, I'm really excited to talk about that. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much for sharing it. I'm, I'm fascinated about the idea of the, of the bulleted note between the two of you. I just think that's so fucking brilliant because honestly, I bet you had my ex and I done something more like that. Like had we been better at actually communicating, I think it wouldn't even just have been messaging to the outside world. It would have been a messaging between each other like that. Yes. I think that um, it's just amazing what skills you brought to each other in that experience. <laughs> That's quite beautiful. Yes. But at yeah. the same time, obviously it's like a, a skill built into an exit. So that's its own sort it of. It was, it yeah. was. And, and it was like, here's our common understanding. Like here are some things that we can agree on. Um, yeah. And that was important for me because I did feel represented in it. Hmm. And um, I think he felt like, he also felt comfortable with it and that people would understand him in the decisions that he made too. Um, yeah. 
So like, okay, so my question, I guess, about reframing, because obviously mm. that's what Becca and I do a lot on, of on Sister On, is, I mean, in some ways it sounds to me like you were doing some reframing even in your own process through the divorce, not just after. Like, it sounds like you were doing some work right on yourself that was reframable kind of yeah. from from a long time prior to the divorce papers being signed. Oh, How yeah. do you understand the word though? So like, I mean, as we're kind of connecting here in this space, do, does it, does it ring true to you? Does it, is it a word mm-hmm. that you kind of go to? I think, you know, up until recently, my initial association with the word reframe, reframing was like associated with positivity, like the positivity mm-hmm. movement of mm-hmm. like, oh, this is bad. Reframe it as good. Mm-hmm. But I think like, as I have reflected on it more, it doesn't necessarily have to have a, like a value judgment on no. like the pre and post, like the, the pre and post reframe. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. <laughs> um, and so I think now for me, um, I think it just means like a deeper and different understanding. Yeah. Of something. That's beautiful. Okay. Because yeah. Becca and I talk about it as sort of like, it's less, as you say, about the before and after, and it's much more about like a way through. Mm. And so that, that rings true to me right. as I hear you say that. As a way through, like if you're stuck. Yeah. yeah. If you're stuck and, or yeah, like looping, right? I mean, mm. because that can often happen. We know in like whatever our struggles are, let alone in relationships. Mm-hmm. And so what does it mean to reorient and potentially change direction so as to have a different sort of course yeah. and process and then and then a different you know end result or location yeah. to sort of land in yeah I like that too I mean like my own internal reframing to get to the point where I could leave my marriage was intense like it really took me six months um for a number of reasons like I was raised in a religious evangelical household and like all the stuff to do with marriage and how important that is and how it shouldn't end and you know et cetera et cetera um and so to get to that point was hard for me and I really felt like I had failed at oh my gosh I get marriage (laughs) I really felt like I just couldn't get my shit together Mm -hmm. and if I could have then I could have made it work and I should have just grit my teeth Mm -hmm. um and so there was a lot – I was really hard on myself, and and I still am, but in different ways now. Um, so one huge moment of reframing for me that really just shifted everything was um, my friend's mom, when she found out that uh, we had separated, she said, congratulations, and she meant it earnestly. Mm-hmm. And – to have someone say congratulations felt like, you know, like I was devastated by the separation, but I also knew it was the right decision for me. And to have someone acknowledge that in such a joyful way that I had chosen myself was like, oh, it rocked me in the best way. And also because it was someone's mom, that was also like so... It was like nurturing and affirming and um, just a really beautiful moment for me where I was like, heck yes, congratulations to me. You're right. I never thought of it this way before. Um, 
And it's kind of a bold decision to make too, of course, because you don't know the situation in, in which a relationship ended. And it may not be the appropriate response to someone who's been through a separation or a breakup from a long relationship. But um, yeah, that was a, a great moment for me. Wow. You know what? That is, it, it, you're right. Like she took a risk in that. Yep. Beck and I just taped an episode about risk taking and I'm going to go back to that one because that's actually really, I think that we, we risk with words just as much as we risk with our actions and in, and maybe sometimes even more so. And that risk that she took, which was so experienced by you as like such a gift. I don't know. That's, that's it was a gift. sort of like the run moment. <laughs> yeah. Like that's sort of like that was your, and I'm free. <laughs> yes, I know. Oh. Yeah. It that's was actually amazing. really beautiful. Yeah. Huh. So then is that sort of like, in some ways, was that your major reframing? I mean, that's a moment, but like, was the major reframing around allowing yourself to see this as an experience that was about mm-hmm. your own healing? Like, was that kind yeah, of... exactly. Mm-hmm. And just like choosing myself and that that's a good thing mm-hmm. and that the relationship shouldn't supersede me. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, and just like be- being able to believe that that was right and the yeah. the good thing for me. Yeah. Yeah. It's so interesting for me to hear you say that because I mean, in that because you're saying you've been 2 years out mm-hmm. of this and for me it's been, you know, like more than a decade and mm-hmm. for me to have like I have been amazed at how much um hurt can still come to the surface even just in my own, you know, there's the memory components, but like also just, you know, like the odd thing that somebody will say, like I've had people apologize Mm -hmm. to me in the last five years, Mm -hmm. interestingly, like people who did hurt me. And I think then if they're coming and apologizing, that means that they recognize that they hurt, but it's because at some level they were hurt and then they had to navigate their own hurt to be able to come and and say, you know, my hurt, made me hurt you and right and uh, you know I not to like let everybody get away with that kind of bullshit but at the same time there is something in that right we're all processing at different Mm -hmm. times the hurts around us and I don't want to be too oblique as I say that but I'm not going to out anybody but it's just an interesting kind of thing to have someone have gone through their sort of like internal dialogue and now come back to me five years after I've been wounded and go, Hey, I'm Mm. sorry. I made you feel like shit (laughs) that day that I basically called you a bitch for, you know, like whatever, without ever using any of those words, but that was, but that's kind of how it all went down. So I, I don't know. I, I hope for you that your, um, that your next 10 years are really filled with just the, the beauty of what you're saying to me now. I really, I am going to um, wish that for you, will that into your <laughs> into your story, because I really think that there's something in that. I think there was a lot of wasted time in mine mm. of really like just feeling badly about about things that I felt like people were thinking about me and I wasn't mm. wrong. You know what I mean? Like it's that yeah. whole thing of I wasn't wrong and that almost hurts worse. It took, honestly, my new... My, my, my new, my decade now spouse, mm-hmm. I remember, and I've shared this on our podcast before, I, but I remember he said to me, my God, Natalie, like put an arm around that Natalie and just, and just tell her it's okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like let her, like let it go with her. And mm-hmm. to sort of 
cradle the old me mm-hmm. was something he had to say to me to be able mm-hmm. to get to that place. It wasn't a counselor that ever got me there. And that's not because he's perfect by any means. It's just interesting whose voice it, it took to be able to kind of bring yeah. that sort of acceptance in. So, yeah, I've, yeah, I've had some really wild experiences with people like that. Mm. Um, just like outside voices, unexpected voices, creating these reframing moments for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and some of it has happened in dating, mm. um, like on a dating app, someone that I've never met said, um, cause you know, like, I'm just like, can I swear on your podcast? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, I'm I just like, have. okay, great. <laughs> I'm just like, okay. I'm just, you know, like now that I'm dating, I'm just like, fuck it. I'm just like a hundred percent myself. I don't care if they don't like, like it, then like, I'm not going to yeah. date them, nope. which is so liberating. I'm actually glad that I'm dating for really like the first time in my thirties instead of my twenties, because I'm so much more confident. <laughs> Good for you. Yeah. yeah. Um, but someone said, uh, after I told, uh, him that I'm divorced, that he was like, oh, well, that to me is like a, a green flag, not a red flag, because mm. you like you have to be really dense to go through a divorce and not come out of it like a better person who's really aware of what you want in a relationship and really um, like also mindful about what you need in the next one. And I was mm. just like blown away that the stranger on a dating app said something so um, – intuitive and just emotionally intelligent to me (laughs) after, you know, hearing all these terrible things about dating apps. Um, this was like my first week on a dating app, which was like a month ago. Um, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, it's just like, that's been like a fun experiment for me. Um, and that kind of gold this early. Oh woman, you're doing great. (laughs) I, I don't know. I do feel like I'm doing pretty well. Um, I haven't gone on any dates from the dating app yet because I'm just like, it's just, I'm like curious and just talking to people. And so we'll see what happens. But, um, and then another moment that happened recently was, um, a conversation that I had with someone that I, the first person I dated after my divorce. And we've been having some of these like debrief moments with Mm. each other about like, (laughs) how that I was not ready and how he was also going through like, horrific things in his life. Um, But we also played like an important role for each other. And I was talking about how I was so defiant to the idea that my divorce had like ruined me for dating, Hmm. but like in a very stubborn way. And that, um, yeah, I, I just had this really defiant attitude that, well, just because I am divorced and experiencing that doesn't mean I can't date and fall in love again. Um, but I also, yeah, I was just resistant to the idea that my, and, and like that my ex had really hurt me because mm-hmm. in my mind by leaving him, I solved that. Mm-hmm. Um, so then this guy that I had dated, um, and I'm now friends with said to me, but like you allowed him to hurt you. Like that was something that you did. But when he said it, he didn't mean it like I was weak. Mm-hmm. He meant it like I did what I was supposed to do in a long-term loving committed relationship. I made myself vulnerable and gave like a hundred percent of myself 
to that relationship. And so far as opening myself up and I made it possible for my ex to hurt me, which was Mm -hmm. the right thing to do. Mm -hmm. Um, but it did actually really intensely impact me, but that whole like shift made it easier for me to forgive my ex because I was so angry at him for hurting me and defiant to the fact that he had hurt me. But then Mm. I, once I accepted that I created that space by being a good partner and by being truly vulnerable and giving up that power. And that was a gift I decided to give my ex. Mm. And I was just like, he still shouldn't have treated me that way, but I'm not angry about it anymore because I was committed. I was deeply committed. And, um, yeah. So that was a huge partner. Is that kind of what it is? Like you're owning your sort of like your agency in the exactly after that relationship. Right. Okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that really shifted it for me. And I don't feel like as defiant or angry at all anymore. And yeah. So just like some kind of like, weird places where I was able to get like have someone prompt me and create this reframing moment for me um, in unexpected places. Yeah. And those are some really good unexpected places. Like the app one is super because obviously that's coming like literally on a screen. Right. I mean, that's just so amazing to sort of have like this truth sort of just staring at you (laughs) out from the screen, which is kind of funny because I remember when I reached out to you a couple weeks ago, Mm -hmm. I had said like, Hey, so there's this article I read. And I mean, it was another sort of moment of a screen sort of speaking truth into Mm. my life. And so I think I sent it to you. So I'm curious, I don't know what you thought of it, but just to sort of give listeners a sense of it, it was this, it was this article from an online magazine called the cut And it was a woman who was working through her own divorce and she had the added complexity of having a child Mm -hmm. shared in that relationship. So there was lots of different sort of layers of hurt in there. Um, But basically she worked her way through her pain Mm -hmm. by playing the video game Witcher 3, Mm -hmm. which I just think is a riot because my husband and I have been watching Witcher like the the show, the first two seasons and loved it. And so now from reading her essay, I know what's coming <laughs> when season three is made. Do you know the show at all? Like, is that one that you would ever have been into? Or even do you play the game? Like, are you a gamer I, at I all? I don't play the game and I have not seen the show, but I have a friend who's cosplayed as um, some of the characters. There you go. So <laughs> I'm like, I'm familiar. I'm familiar with the world. Right. The Witcher world. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, but I, I read the article and that was, I was just completely fascinated because mm-hmm. I would never consider gaming as a way to heal from a divorce. So right? I, yeah. I want to hear more of, of your take on that and, and why it resonated with you. I think it resonated so much because of her emphasis on story. And Mm -hmm. I think because, I mean, that is, I think the whole reason why I've been interested in getting into this whole podcast thing with Rebecca is because of our desire to hear people's stories, to, to do something with them that can, like, there's this wonderful writer named Salvio who talks about story taking and not like in a take and then, you know, absorb, but more the idea that like there is a responsibility of the person who 
who hears and takes the story to then do something almost like gift in terms of the way that it gets sent back into the world. And so I feel like I have a love in that way for, for narrative, but also because I think that the, the crazy, maybe it's my own sort of proclivity to like memory studies, but the idea of somebody doing the game and working through a scene again and again, because you, you restart this, the game and the, the scene happens again. And you have this choice. You can choose. I watch my son and my husband play these games, these various kinds of games, and they're all versions of the same thing, where you click on a dialogue option, and then the game will take you that way. And whatever that dialogue, that point that you choose, will sort of direct you down a specific path. And her knowing, the author knowing that she was going to choose that dialogue option again, that would take her down the same storied path so that she could cry again made me want to cry because I just felt so deeply with her as she replayed literally her own story out through the playing of this game so that she could cry. Like I really felt like there was such healing in her tears and it took me a long time to cry. So I was like, maybe I needed a game. <laughs> like maybe that would have really helped. I was just, I was in such doom mode all those years earlier. I There was not a lot of crying until I mm. sort of hit a point later where I guess I could. But yeah, that article struck me that she needed the game to let herself story her own grief enough to cry th- through the pain. Isn't that the reframing idea, right? The, the, yeah. the, the way through. So that would struck me. Yeah. Huh. Are you a gamer at all? Not in like, I mean, in enough in a way that I can speak to my students about it intelligently. So then they can right. give me like, you know, one or two points for being relatively in the know, but only over the shoulder of, you know, these two in my household who I love. And so I've learned to kind of watch them, but you know what, one of my, um, one of my graduate directors, she was like, that was her whole, she was like, gender and gaming as kind of her area of research and interest. And so I, so that was about six years ago that I sort of got to know her. So I think I've always been interested from a distance, but never done it myself. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if a little bit is because I recognize I might get lost in it because of that Ooh. love of story. Like it's cause you want to dig in, right? Like you, you yeah. and I think it's hard to sometimes pull out from the story So maybe just recognizing who I am, but what did you take from it? Like when you read it, did you, was there like similar stuff? Did anything else sort of grab you? Yeah, I was definitely taken with, um, her describing how she felt when she could not change the story, Mm -hmm. how she would keep trying to like go back to her last save, play it through again, change mm-hmm. like all of her, like make her different choices, but still end up in the same place. Mm-hmm. And that, that got me. I was like, wow, that's a feeling that I identify with. And mm-hmm. I think about that a lot. Like I, I don't, I'm actually not in a place at all where I'm thinking about, oh, if I only I had done this differently because I'm really at peace with where I am now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But that feeling of just like, I think it's just a familiar feeling of being in the midst of a relationship and, and, and trying everything, like using every tool that you have, but still ending up at like at the same conflict or, you know, and Mm -hmm. that just feeling overwhelming. But then I was also super curious about all of the research that she shared about how it helps um, process trauma and how, Mm -hmm. um, 
veterans are playing like <laughs> Call of Duty to help. And I was mm-hmm. like, that seems so counterintuitive to me. But it's about like the science of like rapid eye movement and um, your like short term memory, which you would know something about. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and that making your traumatic memories less able to anchor in your brain and elicit a strong emotional reaction. And when I read that, I was like, wow, I need to play a first person shooter right now. I need to get on this. And like, why hasn't, haven't any of my therapists told me I should play video games? Right. I know. It feels like it's like a really missing component in a lot of our therapy stories. (laughs) Yeah. Seriously. Absolutely. Oh, well, I'm I'm glad that that one resonated with you too, mm-hmm. because I, again, it's a funny thing that I could like, it was kind of lovely that I sort of knew we were coming up to this conversation and that I was sending yeah. you this article because yeah. you were going to read it and have like a frame of reference that it would just make all the more sense in just because of mm-hmm. this sort of shared story that we have. So I guess it, what do you think? Do you think that divorce is always going to be like a part of our story like Mm. the story that is Miranda's and the story that is Natalie's I think I am going to be a person who will have loved many people over the course of my life Mm -hmm. and I don't mean just like I'm gonna have all of these husbands and wives you know like I don't mean that I just mean that is how I'm trying to think of it Mm -hmm. and that my ex is one of the many people that I've loved and we'll love, um, but it is, it is, uh, it's a lot having a podcast about divorce. Um, and I love the podcast. I love making the podcast. I love talking to people about divorce, but it's also definitely something that I don't, I don't want to be associated as like, this is Miranda. She's divorced. And all she does is talk about divorce. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. (laughs) So there is like, um, a part of me that, you know, like I, I kind of have a, a narrative for the next two seasons that I have planned. And then after that, I think I will let it go because I don't want it to be so present in my life as a part of my like active identity. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. How do you feel? Like, isn't it weird that like divorced is just like a part of like one of your many labels that you get now? Yeah. You know, as you say that, I mean, I think it's become, I think for a time, I thought it wouldn't be as much a part of my story, right? right? Like I thought when I got remarried, that that would then, then Natalie would just be a different Natalie, right? Yeah. But then it comes up because then the baby grows up and all of a sudden it's like, you know, now he's five and he asks a question because like what's divorce and what does Mm -hmm. that mean because he's heard about it from somebody else and and I don't want to lie I want to be able to share but he's only known mommy and daddy as this team but there's like this whole other mommy he doesn't know and do I want him to know that Natalie I kind of do she was great you know like she still is great but oh my gosh that could make me want to cry like she was fucking great and Mm -hmm. She survived like a whole lot. And Mm -hmm. I think it's really important that he sees that of his mom. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I don't know. I don't know that divorce will ever be not a part of my story, but I like the way you frame it of it just sort of being, maybe it doesn't have to be so 
front and center, and maybe it becomes less front and center at different times. Yeah. So like maybe there are seasons, true. right? Yeah. Yeah. Like I, I definitely have come to reluctantly accept that, you know, like there is a healing journey that I am on and that I am responsible for that. But there is also a part of my healing. It's not uh, dependent on this, but there's a part of my healing that will come in relationship with someone else Mm -hmm. that I have yet to meet. Mm -hmm. And that, you know, like there are going to be things I'm going to have to unlearn Mm -hmm. and like lean into trust when it's uncomfortable and all of those things. Um, and you know, like in that moment where I'm able to build something like that new with someone, me being divorced is definitely going to be very present. Yeah. Miranda, I feel like, I, I honestly feel like I've made a friend, so I'm so grateful for this time. <laughs> like, it's such a lovely thing to get to share. Yeah. But I'm also excited to get to now learn you and be a friend with you beyond the divorce connection. Yeah. Because I feel like we are. We are bigger than this D. Yeah, (laughs) I know. this big D. (laughs) As important as it is. And, you know, maybe somebody will have learned something today. I don't know. Like, whatever people take away. We're always, Rebecca and I are always thinking about that with Sister On. Like, what's the takeaway that somebody, Mm. especially when there's so many listening who, you know, won't have been divorced, will never get divorced. Like, what are the takeaways that one can grab hold of from a conversation like this, whether divorce is a part of their own story or not. I don't know. Yeah. We'll have to wait for feedback. I know. We'll, we'll find out. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. Well, this was, this was so nice. And I, I always just like similar to you. I just like, I feel camaraderie and, um, I think it's a really special vulnerable place to like, just sit down and talk about divorce with someone else. And I'm really honored that you wanted to do this on your podcast and share that with my podcast too. And yeah, I'm really, I'm excited to release this into the world. I know me too. Okay. Well, so this will be really fun. We're going to get to have, everybody could listen to it on both, on both platforms for goodness sakes. They can hear different music and then the same voices. (laughs) (laughs) Have an amazing night, and I look forward to doing something like this again. Okay, take care. Bye. Bye.